Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Abby Carcio. And I'm your other host, Sydney Cummings. And from wherever you're listening, welcome to Megged, a women's soccer podcast where we talk about anything and everything related to the women's professional sport. These are our unsolicited football opinions. You didn't ask for them, but we're going to give them. And who knows? Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But that's the beauty of the game and what's kept us friends for so long. This episode, we'll be discussing World Cup prize money and salaries in the women's game. Move your feet. This is Magged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Megged. Abby, very exciting weekends for both of us. Can we give a quick synopsis of what we did this weekend? Yeah, so we were both off, no footy uh, for us this weekend, but um, we were able to travel a bit. I took a day trip over to Rome. Um, first time being there, so it was really cool. Saw the Trevi Fountain and the Coliseum, so really exciting. But tell us about your Australian road trip, Sid. Yeah, so I went with a couple of my teammates and we went down to Apollo Bay, which is about three hours from the city down the coast. And it's really beautiful um, down Great Ocean Road, which is like pretty iconic, I guess, um, in Victoria. And so we had a great time. It was just great friends, great vibes. We did some cool stuff, saw a lot of great nature stuff, which I really loved um, and is a bit different than what I normally like. But we had a fabulous time and I was definitely something like I will cherish from my time here. Yeah, one of the huge perks of playing abroad is getting to see the world. And so it, it's also really nice to just have a little bit of a break from football when you have those rare weekends off. Um, it's great to kind of disconnect and and it's a great reset um, for me and I think for a lot of players. So glad we were able to to enjoy the weekend and we have a big week of football coming up with Champions League. I'm actually fortunate enough to go to the Lyon Chelsea game so I'm really excited for that match. But before we uh, jump into the football news for this week, I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out to a really great organization in my home city Boston. Um, it's called the Boston Dream. The Boston Dream Soccer Association is a nonprofit organization that fosters leadership development for women and girls. They do this through education and training in topics such as leadership, coaching and career development. So they're constantly connecting women to opportunities and community-based initiatives. And we want to acknowledge the work that Greg Rowe is doing. He's doing so much for the women's game. So really appreciate that. So if you're from New England or interested in learning more, find them on Instagram or you can DM our page because Abby here is one of the mentors in the organization. So we can definitely let you know more about Boston Dream. And we're really excited to be their official podcast. So big news came out this week. FIFA has announced that the Women's World Cup prize money has increased by 300% from the previous World Cup in 2019. So it's totaling around $150 million. Abby, obviously, we talk so much about money and we talk so much about like underappreciation in the women's game. So here is concrete money being pumped into the women's game. What are your thoughts on this? Initially, when this came out, I approached it with skepticism because whenever a big headline like this is stated, there's always a but. And so once I dug a little bit deeper, 
I think I'm going to say this is progress. This is positive progress. I think it's actually a major point in moving the needle for women's football. Um, I think if you break down the numbers, it's a solid jump in percentage uh, from the last World Cup. And so initial thoughts is Abby, for once, has taken a positive approach on money in the women's game. So there's a lot to, to break down in terms of the comparison to the men's game. But right off the bat, I, I see it as positive. Yeah, I think anytime that you have an increase, it is positive. Sometimes I think we get caught up in the fact that it's not enough. But regardless, anytime you can pump more money into the women's game, it it is a positive. So I think it's really great to see 300%. And like you said, sometimes with headlines, that seems like a really big number, but like we actually want to follow the money. Like where is this going? What's the breakdown and all of that stuff. So there's obviously ways for it to become potentially negative, but I think off the bat, this is great. Yeah. And I want to highlight some of those, I don't know, trappings of headlines. Now I think it's important to do that. And so obviously for this world cup, we're adding eight teams. And with that, there would have been, or there ought to be some sort of increase in the, in the money. But if you break down and do the math, which I'm not great at, but um, if you do the math, it's it's far su- surpasses what an eight-team increase would have been anyway. So yes, there is definitely a huge cash injection that surpasses that um, addition of, of teams. Um, the other thing is, is that we're still falling short from the men. It's one-third of the men's pot for the 2022 Qatar Cup. So yeah, just wanted to highlight those things and to show that there still is is a gap to make up. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is positive. Well, they, they did announce that there was going to be some mimicking of treatment from the Men's World Cup, right? Yeah, so the president of FIFA actually made some cool statements for once, um, saying that the treatment... Um, at this World Cup is going to mimic exactly the the treatment of the Qatar World Cup in in regards to flights, accommodations, treatment of staff. And so that that's a big statement. And I'm really curious to see if FIFA holds up their end of the bargain on that thing, because I think that can have a lot of effect on the quality of football that we see um, and also individual player performance. Yeah, which I think then poses the question, does this money incentivize teams, incentivize players, especially those who know that they are in real contention for a World Cup win. So, you know, the likes of England, the US, France, Spain, like, will this allow for better team performance? Like if you dangle a carrot in front of the bunny, like what happens? For sure. And the breakdown of the of the money is prize money is 110 million. So that would be distributed throughout the teams in terms of where they finish. Every team gets some allocation of that money, but it depends on where you finish on the table. Um, As you move up, you increase, obviously. And then you have 31 million in preparation funds. Huge. That's huge in my mind in terms of, you know, the ability to actually have recovery tools for each individual team, regardless of the location and, and their individual federation funding. And then you also have 11 million in club benefits. But I think that you, this is, broken down into a few different aspects. You have that play individual player incentive, which you were just talking about, Sid. And then you also have better equipped physical teams, which you would hope would lead to better football. But let's break down that player incentive because money in the women's game is 
uh, I don't want to say non-existent, but it's very small. And so for a player on one of these national teams to be incentivized by money to win is kind of a new concept. And I'm curious what you think or how this will affect those individual players. Yeah, obviously money is a big thing that we talk about you and I personally, because, you know, we're, we're footballers, obviously we're not competing for World Cup prize money, but I just think in general, when you're, if if you decide to break them up and say it as like two jobs, right? So all of these women that are playing play either club teams, some of them might play in college, like whatever for the younger ones, but I'm focusing more on the ones who are like actually professional footballers and that is their quote unquote full-time job. And then if you separate the World Cup team, so their national team as a separate job, because obviously it's two separate salaries. So if you separate them that way, most players, I'm going to make the big generalization because there's obviously eight more teams and, and a lot of women competing. Most players, I feel, don't make enough in that first job. So in their leagues that they play in for a comfortable lifestyle. And that's just the reality of the women's game. Um, obviously you have the outliers, the people who have crazy sponsorships or are household names, whether that be in the NWSL or in league one, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think for the vast majority, this is very incentivizing because if you can supplement some of that income with winning with your national team or placing well, right? Like you don't even really have to win with placing well in the world cup that really sets you up for the year and, and what's to come. So, I mean, I can obviously only speak for myself, but if I was in this position, I would feel that's incentivizing because I don't make enough in my day to day. Like I have another job and I think a lot of people can relate to that. And so I think that it's really important that you do things like this and, and raise the money, but yeah, I can see that being a bit of an incentive. What do you think? I totally agree. I mean, it, it reminds me of when I was young and my dad would be like, okay, five bucks a goal. And you bet your bottom dollar, I was scoring like five goals a game because I, I want, I want that extra money for candy. And so it's like, that's obviously a reductionist view of this, but it's the same concept. And to speak to the fact that, you know, we're professional players and we're not making enough money to the fact that we need second jobs. I know a few years ago, there was this like hashtag no more side hustles um, surrounding the NWSL. And yeah, that permeates uh, across the pond as well. Like most people have second jobs to supplement their income. And that's a new threshold for, for me in terms of pushing the women's game forward is we need to get it to the point where this is your full-time job because when you're working a second job, it affects how you play. I mean, mentally, physically, um, when you're working two jobs, you're tired at practice. And I think it's a trickle down effect. If we pay women what they deserve, they don't have to work that second job and therefore their play will be better. More people will want to come and watch. And then it's a cyclical, um, it, it's cyclical. Yeah. I think it's definitely difficult too, because for so many leagues, you're getting paid, let's call it a part-time salary for a full-time commitment. And so you have to supplement it. And because of that full-time commitment, like you can't work a normal job. Like you're definitely not working a nine to five. It's incredibly hard to work a, a desk job unless you have some kind of connections. So you're doing like part-time work. I think most of us coach on the side. Um, a lot of people, I work remotely. So I was able to find like through connections, 
um, remote work, which is great as a footballer. Um, and some people will, I don't know, work at a cafe or, or whatever works for them. Um, but it's incredibly difficult because then, like we said, full-time commitment to football, but then you have this part-time thing, but then you have to find the time for your friends, but then you have to recover properly, but then you have to, you know, so it's just like, like you said, it's like this trickle down effect where that catches up with you. And so shout out to like all the people that have been in the NWSL doing this for years. I mean, obviously now the minimum salary has bumped up significantly to what it once was, but um, there's still so much work to be done in that realm because you have people sacrificing so much and, and putting so much of themselves into this for not the greatest payoff. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things that gets overlooked a lot in the women's game, especially when you compare it to the men, um, which unfortunate, I, I don't want to get into like Uber comparisons, but um, if you just compare the minimum salaries, it's very difficult to stomach the fact that there's very little re reasoning behind the sacrifices that we have to go through. Right. And I, I don't think anyone's like asking for exact equal pay to what the men are making in Europe right now, because it's absolutely absurd, but we're just talking about a living wage to the point where we don't have to work a second job. And I think the World Cup is going to be a great opportunity to see this concept and its effect and its cyclical effect under a microscope. Um, with this injection of cash, I think you're going to see, hopefully, the kickoff of that positive cycle, um, which will ultimately affect the product and products are marketable. And so I'm excited to see where that goes. But we talked about the other side of this. So there's a, the money side, but there's also this physical side. So this, this cash injection also will go to equipment, training facilities, things of that nature. And I'm curious to see how that will affect the product uh, on the pitch. Will these players be better, essentially? What do you think about that, Sid? I think the biggest thing is recovery, especially when you get to big tournaments like the World Cup, the turnaround. And, and Tiffany talked about this in, in our interview with her last episode. Um, so definitely give that a listen if, if you haven't already. But the turnaround between games is very short. And so players really have to recover properly. And the biggest thing about recovery that I think a lot of people don't know is time. Like you physically can't recover properly if you don't have enough time to do so because you need the sleep, you need, you know, the soft tissue. But there are times where it's not the best thing to get soft tissue X amount of days before a game. Um, and so I think it'll be great to disperse recovery tools properly amongst teams, which I think in turn helps them in their physical performance. Yeah. And these are micro changes that I think the outside world doesn't really recognize or understand, or they haven't experienced it, but just, just an anecdote, for instance, in the past at world cups, you have a roommate, you have someone that you're sleeping in the same room with. Um, sleep is essential, essential for recovery. And so when you have a roommate, you might not be getting optimal sleep. The men don't have roommates. They pay the, the fee to get individual rooms. And so something like that, a cash injection would separate players, allow them to properly recover. They don't have to deal with someone snoring next to them. Something minuscule like that actually will have a huge impact on performance, in my opinion. 
A hundred percent. I agree with that so much. And then when you think about, then you get a proper sleep and then you're going to practice. And so, and so if this money is being pumped into things like equipment, so now you have, you know, the best things that, that you can work with that you need to prepare for your game against whoever's in your group stage, I think that's really important. And so, you know, maybe it's that drone that, you know, you want to get that great aerial footage um, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's actual equipment for on the pitch. And so I think that they all, again, we're talking about trickle down effects. I think it all goes into the next thing. And so personally, I think that if the money is used properly, players should be better equipped physically, but we also know what it's like at the end of the day, you could have all the tools, but if the person running the ship doesn't understand it, it falls flat. So it's also about the people. Yeah. Super excited to see how this money affects individual player incentive, but also the product. Yeah. And I'm also interested to see talking about salary and domestic leagues. I'm interested to see if, FIFA raising the World Cup money gives leagues more incentive to raise minimum salaries. I know a lot of leagues are already in discussion about that, but I think if the top dog does it, the little dogs follow. So I'm curious to see salary jumps, uh, minimum salary jumps amongst leagues in, in the next coming years. Right. So you're talking about the, the domestic leagues, and we've seen this play out on the international stage already with the U.S. women's national team in their collective bargaining agreement with the men. And so in the Qatar World Cup, the women actually made $6.5 million from where the men fell in the standings. And so we don't have a final prize money figure yet for the Women's World Cup, but I'm so curious to see how this is going to play out. If the women do well, maybe they place first, who knows? Will they actually be giving the men more money with this new collective bargaining agreement? Yeah, I think the the women's national team definitely set an interesting standard for other national teams to potentially follow when looking at a similar bargaining agreement. But I I don't know if the obviously I can't say the U.S. team is I'm on the fence of if they're my my pick for first place or not. But regardless. I think they will finish pretty high up. I think they're pretty consistent in in doing that and having that competitive mentality. So I think they'll dig through that. Can't say if they're going to end up giving the men how much the, the men are going to take because of that collective bargaining agreement. But I'm going to say that it's going to be about similar um, to what the women got from the Qatar World Cup. I think this would set an incredible precedent for other international teams if they actually give the men more than what the men gave the women I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to take a look at the numbers but to to make a statement with what you're saying about where the U.S. national team is going to place obviously I want them to place number one but if say England or another country a, a surprise country Spain if they place first and they're raking in a bunch of cash because of the increase, 300% increase in prize money, you then have these federations that are going to have to consider women as a viable source of revenue. And I think that would be amazing for the game in general. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, the, the breakdown's obviously interesting because the women could place first, the women's national team could place first and give the men, let's call it the prize money's 14 and they give the men seven and the men only made it out of the group stage 
Like there is obviously still a huge disparity there, but I do think it is really profound if the women placing place well and end up giving the men more from the collective bargaining agreement. I think it just gives them a bit of clout. Like it just backs their argument that they've been making all of these years. Right. And and to be honest, this is something, this is one of the reasons why we started this podcast because the women's world cup this year is such a tipping point, especially on the money side of things. So yeah, I'm excited to see these ideas under a microscope and where and how they affect the game moving forward. Yeah, agreed. And I'm, I'm definitely interested um, to, to see, obviously we want to know who's going to place where, but I'm definitely interested to see later on, like what the breakdown of the money is going to be for, for what place you fall in. And I think this conversation has really sparked something between us. Like we for sure need to do a hot take about who we think is going to place first in the World Cup. Um, So maybe stay tuned for that in future episodes. But in the meantime, uh, we've got a different hot take for you this week. On to a fan favorite, hot takes. Abby, you're first. Alrighty. Last week was very contentious. So I went with something that I, I think we might agree on. Um, but I think our listeners might have something to say about this one. So my hot take for this week is there are unassigned assigned seats on the team bus. Yes. A hundred percent. I knew you would say yes, because on the bus, for those that don't know, at Brown, we sat across from each other and no one was allowed to sit in those seats. So it's a, yeah, I knew it wasn't gonna be contentious, but I think other people sometimes like on my, my team now, some people sit in other people's seats and I'm like, you're going to get yelled at. Don't do that. So. Okay. That happened to me one time this season, someone sat in my seat and I actually abs, I end up like pretty much sitting in like the same spot that I sat at Brown, like the first player seat on the right. Yep. Um, Yep. And I'm on the left. Yeah. And it was my friends who did it. And I like, it took everything in me. I, you know, I complained a little bit and I was like, okay, you know, give me my seat back. And they were like, grow up. And I was really upset that I had to give it up. I had to sit on the left side. It completely screwed with my juju. But then I was like, okay, now I'm stuck on the left side for the rest of the trip. Yeah, I agree. It's like more of a routine thing for me than anything. Like, I don't care really who I sit around. It's just like, this is my seat. This is my routine for a game. Like, I'm going to be prepped correctly for this. So, okay. Glad we're in agreement on that. Yeah, 100%. I'm also like uber superstitious when it comes to like routine before a game. And that is just such a big part of it. So, yes, 100% agree. There is unassigned assigned seats. Okay, my hot take. Mm, all right. It's okay to pull up one sleeve when you're playing. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay. In a, in a match? No, 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 no. In a match, no. But in training, like, if you're trying to avoid getting an uneven tan or something like that, yeah, you can do it, whatever. But in a match, I'm so against it. Okay, why? 
mostly for like subjective reasoning, but I think to, to stay in line with my opinion on like tucking your shirt in and having your socks correct, like that's the part of your uniform is your sleeves. So you need to put those down. Interesting. But is it against the rules? No, it's not against the rules, but I will say, again, advantageous for referees to see people's sleeves because if you use a shoulder, like the rule of thumb is for referees, a handball is shirt sleeve and below. And so if you have your sleeve rolled up, then a shoulder is going to be a handball. No, it's not. The semantics of that are asinine, but sure. I just think one is okay. Like, it's hot. Like, you need to cool down. Like, you just roll one up. Two, you look like, I mean, I'm not going to use explicit language. My mom will kill me. But two, you just look a little silly, I think. Okay, do you remember when we were young and they had those, like, little... Oh, my God, the clip things? Yeah, yes. the Velcro things. I just Velcro. Like there's a specific type. And sorry for, like, implicating anybody on this. But I feel like there was a specific type of girl that would have those clips have a ribbon in their hair and then have the like tape on their socks in that like certain pattern you know what I'm talking about okay so interesting I do know what you're talking about but this is definitely like a regional thing because I feel like for me the people who wore those were like not what you're describing all the time like sometimes it was like they wore those and they wore rec specs and like mm -hmm. the bulky shin guards I don't, yeah, I think they're, okay, maybe, maybe there's no, like, specific group that wore those things, but for some reason, those irritated the crap out of me. Yeah, I think that's fair, like, but I remember it used to be, like, the cool thing when we were, like, 10, like, you would tie, pre, you would tie pre-wrap around it, like, oh, in those no. hot summer games. That's just ridiculous, that's ridiculous. No, it is, but you were 10, like, it whatever anyway moral of the story is i think it's okay one sleeve it's not a big deal two I sleeves think, were no territory. i think it's advantageous for a player to wear two sleeves down and i just think like you're looking professional with two sleeves down so if you ever watch one of my games and catch me with one sleeve up i'll pay you a dollar oh just a dollar fair enough i'll take what i can get As always, just a little bit of fun with our hot takes. Definitely surprised that we were so agreeable this week. And we want to switch things up. Uh, don't have many games to watch. Obviously, Abs is going to go to the Lyon game, so she'll fill us in next week about that experience. But we just want to plug some book recommendations, actually. So we had someone ask about the neutral thinking that we talked about early episode and I got that neutral thinking concept from uh, a book that I had an internship and the CEO was friends with uh, an author. And so he, they passed it along to us and it's called It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moad. And I really do recommend that. Um, it is a self-help book, but it talks a lot about neutral thinking and we can definitely dive more into that thought process in future episodes. But just if people are interested in learning a little bit more about that concept and kind of where I got it from, I put my own spin on it, but I would really plug that book for those interested in getting started. And my book plug this week is called Under the Lights in the Dark by Gwendolyn Oxenham. And this book is really relevant to the topic of this week's discussion. 
the book breaks down different anecdotes of players and the trials and tribulations they go through while playing abroad. And you see a lot of unprofessionalism overseas. And it also talks about the lack of money and its effect on players. So it's a really good one, has a lot of different perspectives. It's a little dated, it's a little old, but I think it's still relevant today. And as always, if you have any questions or anything that you want us to talk about in future episodes, or if you read these books and you want to let us know your thoughts, feel free to email us at meggedpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at meggedpodcast. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Please rate us and leave us reviews on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And join us next week as we tackle new topics, fight over our different perspectives, and as always, our hot takes. See you next week on Megged.